0: everyone and welcome to feeling Seen, the podcast where we talk about the movies and the characters that make us feel seen today my co-host is a writer for netflix's he-man and the masters of the universe and a new york times best-selling comic book author it is amanda dibert welcome amanda
1: to the show Hi, thank you for having me.
0: And now, is there anything else we need to know about you? I feel like like saying New York Times best-selling, <laughs> like the that that it obviously speaks to an achievement, a gravitas, but it doesn't get into the specifics of of what your name has been on that has done so well. So, what else what else should we know about you?
1: Um, well, comic book wise, it's it's a variety of things. I do a lot of writing for DC Comics specifically. I do DC Superhero Girls, Teen Titans, Wonder Woman 77, uh, just all kinds of things. And I also do adult books, DC Doomed in the Dam. John Carpenter's Tales for Halloween Night. Uh, I've got Work for a Million out with Penguin Random House, which is a a lesbian noir detective graphic novel. It's it's really all over the place. That's always a good idea. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well... Given that, given that sort of scope of character and scope of world that we're talking about, I feel like that jibes well with the the character in the property, a a, a well known fantasy property that we are going to be talking about today. So, Amanda, tell us what
1: character from what movie have you brought to us to discuss on the pod today? Um, So I have brought to you Harry Potter from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because obviously Mm -hmm. I am a magical prepubescent boy so this just makes (laughs) all the sense. (laughs) Who are you? Rubius Hagrid, keeper of keys and grounds at Hogwarts. Of course, you'll know all about Hogwarts.
0: Sorry, No?
1: No? Blimey, Harry, didn't you ever wonder where your mum and dad learned it all? Learned what? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? A wizard. And a thumpin' goodin' I'd wager, once you trade up a little. No, you've made a mistake. I mean... I can't be a, a, a wizard. I mean, I'm just...
0: Harry. Just Harry. For those who might not have crossed paths with the property, what is what is Harry Potter and <laughs> the Sorcerer's Stone about?
1: Second, I think
0: second in sales only to the Bible of all time, Harry Potter.
1: Yeah. So if you have been um, off planet for the last yes. like twenty years, maybe you've been in a deep space exploration, mm-hmm. uh, a cryo freeze, a very long term coma, then yeah. you might need this refresher course so of course yes, yes it is about a young boy whose parents have passed who is living with resentful and mildly abusive to, to 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 pretty abusive family members and uh he gets an invitation to go to the school of witchcraft and wizardry finds out that via heritage of his deceased parents, he is in fact a witch or wizard. And so then he gets to go off to school and make friends and discover his magical side. And of course, you know, fight the uh, super villain who is out to kill him, who he accidentally murdered as a baby. Spoilers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's the first time somebody has put the relationship between Harry and Voldemort to me like that, and I think that's my favorite way anybody's ever <laughs> described it. Like you can see, you can see the depth of a grudge when somebody is going to reanimate and go after the person that accidentally killed them when they were but an infant.
1: I mean, who among us has not accidentally murdered a supervillain as an infant? Yeah. It's it's deeply relatable, you know, to be fair. It was self-defense. So Yeah. yeah.
0: True. True. How did you start keying, how did you sync up with with Harry Potter, what was it in Harry Potter that you knew was was sort of a, a had a kinship with you? It was like sort of kindred
1: spirit for a man. So this is a thing that I've even I actually even wrote about this at, in a comic strip for um, a book called The Secret Love of Geeks because Harry Potter ended up getting uh, very integrated into my coming out story, which I will explain in a minute. But um, okay, but basically. Um, I, I came to Harry Potter a little bit late. I was a freshman in college and I started reading it as like a fun thing on the side in between all the stuff I was doing for school, because when you're doing a lot of reading, what could be more fun than also like reading a children's book? for leisure <laughs> yeah. on top of all your studying reading. Yeah. But, but that's who I am. But I found that I related to it pretty deeply on multiple levels, some which are kind of light and some which are pretty dark. Uh, mm-hmm. I was also orphaned young. I mm. also ended up living in um, a pretty traumatic and abusive home uh, where I didn't mm-hmm. feel wanted or safe. And, you know, there were some literal being locked away in rooms much like uh, Harry's uh, little abode under the stairs. So yeah. there was that. And I really um, didn't feel like I was safe and had come into my own until I went away to college until I, you know, was able to move away and live at school and feel safe. And then there was also, I was from a very like fundamentalist religious home mm. and um And realized that I was a lesbian and it was something – so there was a part of myself that was fundamental to who I was that I also had to keep secret and was disproved of by the people around me. You know, much like Harry had to kind of hide his magical side or try to repress Mm -hmm. it and it was disproved of by the family he was staying with. It felt very similar and in the same way like when I went away to college was when I felt like I could start to express and explore – fully who I really was. So as I was reading this book about like this little boy, I kept feeling like very just very kindred like oh, I understand what it's like to not know much about your family or to ha- to you know be missing dead people, to not feel like you belong in the home that you're living in, to not feel safe being yeah. who you are. So in a lot of those ways, I felt uh, just very instantly connected to him as a character.
0: We swore when we took him in we'd put a stop to all this rubbish.
1: You knew you knew all along, and you never told me. Of course we
0: knew. How could you not be? My perfect sister, being who she was. Oh, my mother and father were so proud of the day she got her letter. We have a witch in the family. Isn't it wonderful? I was the only one to see her for what she was.
1: A freak! And then she met that Potter. And then she had you, When I knew you would be the same, just as strange, just as abnormal. And then, if you please, she went and got herself blown up, and we got landed with you.
0: I mean, it seems like there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Like It's not like there, that is, and I, you know, something like that I, I, I think about in terms of, like, the, the way we recognize ourselves in, in, like, screen avatars, like, and how that can be how that can be a welcome experience, it can be like a heartening experience, but could also be like, sort of shocking, like the ways in which we we see ourselves in in figures or people that like, because they have a shared darkness with our own and and sort of like, you know, so for you, like with that recognition, is that something where is that a purely positive kind of recognition to to align with a character like that? Or is that kind of like, feels like there could be sort of like a, a hitting home there where it's like, Wow, like that seems like a very loaded kind of character to so intimately to be able to connect with in these such specific ways that you have.
1: Yeah, you know, it's both. It's nice to, I think the the wonderful thing in general about art, all of it, films, books, music, is that there is a universality to experiences and we can relate to a lot of things even if we're not exactly parallel to a character Um and i think that that you know getting to see yourself feel yourself see aspects of yourself makes you feel less alone i mean you read that and you realize like oh this is a a feeling and experience a condition that exists in the world and even in this fictional world it's still it's still drawing from and pulling from like real experiences that real people beyond just me have mm-hmm. have experienced so it's it's nice and lovely in that way to feel less alone there there are definitely things about it you know especially the harder parts, the loss that uh, that sometimes did hit. And then, like, this is further spoilers, but, like, in later book, when um, I love that I'm actually like anyone is going to have Harry Potter spoiled
0: yeah. for that. But- your offer has expired, everyone. <laughs> She's being far too kind to you.
1: So this is it. Buckle up if you haven't read all the Harry Potter books. Yeah. I'm blowing it wide Here open.
0: Here it goes. The is coming <laughs> off.
1: <laughs> um but later, like when he finds and connects with his godfather, and then his godfather ultimately um gets killed. When when that book came out, my godmother, who I had been very close to, had also just passed. Like I was reading the books, so mm. I was I was feeling very connected with them. And then that happened and it was like it was really hard. I ended up like sobbing through mm. the book and then I was like, oh, cause it's another way I had already identified with, connected with. And then it was just like another way where I was like, oh, I might like too intimately connect yeah. with the loss. Like you know, but in a way, I guess I guess even that's good because then it was helping me process my own grief and gave me a place to cry about it. So mm-hmm. you know. Mixed bag.
0: Well, and it's, it's, I think it's, I think an interesting thing about this is um, sort of just as a, as a concept is, is how we, we sort of come, we find the things we need when we need them Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And like, you know, maybe if you're, if you're starting, like you said, you came into when you were a little bit older compared for like, I guess the, you know, proposed age range for Harry Potter, even though it's a global sensation across generational scales, you know, coming to this, like if you came to this in high school, perhaps at a time when, you weren't you. weren't as autonomous. Like you weren't out and and apart from right your upbringing right. and this place where you were you were sort of kept down. Like to find it in college when you did, it seems like. It's amazing when we find things, when we're able to access them, like Mm -hmm. perhaps even if you had read it when you were younger, it couldn't have, it couldn't have hit you the same way. But when you're finally at a place where like you can sit and sob through something like that and understand that when you, you know, put it down and when you wake up the next day, like you are in a space of your own. Right. With a community of your own through which like you can have conversations about this. You can talk to people about this. And, and just sort of, you know, I guess what is that, you know, for your experience what what was that sort of like coming into that fictional avatar as a young, like officially adult, not like a 16, 17 year old, but being like, wow, shit. Like I can really like, not that you hadn't like enjoyed literature or fiction or film up to that point, but like I can really dive in and like find my soul within another character here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was great. It was books, literature particularly, were always my uh, method of escape as a kid. You know, I was always the kid who was like, Reading as escapism. Always had my nose in a book. So, mm-hmm. like for me, escaping into a character and into literature was uh, has always been what I did and what I do. Uh, big surprise mm-hmm. that I became a writer. Shocking, uh- <laughs> right? True. Yeah, you were
0: preparing this whole time. This whole time.
1: But yeah, it was it was nice to actually feel like I had the freedom to to read the books, to explore it, to identify. I also so my. My upbringing was so extremely religious that we weren't allowed Mm -hmm. to watch shows or anything that had like magic. And then um like- I was gonna ask about that. In in I
0: grew up in a conservative small town, and, and my best friend from high school was a very devout foursquare evangelical Christian. And I remember when Harry Harry Potter was a sensation, it was bec- it was like released and becoming a sensation when we were in high school. And I mean she was not able to watch that. Mm-hmm. She was not able to read it. Mm-hmm. She was not able to like part mm-hmm. like people were wearing their Gryffindor scarves to school. Mm-hmm. And she had such a, a wariness and a suspicion mm-hmm. of it because this was something that was. Off limits to her.
1: Yes, I mean, like even I—I I wasn't allowed to watch He Man, so it's hilarious now that I that I write for He Man. Um.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so beautifully symmetrical. Isn't it? Oh my god! Isn't it? I really appreciate. I love that. that. I'm not saying you're trying to issue fuck yous <laughs> to people. I don't know what your journey is with processing and whatnot, but like just from without, like that is a. Beautiful, right? fuck you. It's
1: really good. It's really good. Um, I love that. So that exact situation is actually how Harry Potter got tangled up in my coming out. So I came home from college uh, for – well, home to my gr- so to my grandparents' house who were my living relatives mm-hmm. at the time. And I, I went to visit them when I was on like fall break, you know, first semester or something like that. And so I'd just gone away to school. I was still deeply – closeted, although, like, coming out at school, but not everywhere else. Um, and my grandmother took me to, like, we went out to lunch and she was, like, being really weird the whole time. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, like, almost crying and I was like, what is going on? And then they live on a small town in, on the coast of North Carolina. And, like, so then she mm-hmm. started driving and, like, drove me to the beach. And I was like, what's going on? And then she was, like, okay. "Um, she was, like, I'm, she, first she asked me if I had, if I was doing drugs. And I was like, classic. And I, okay. and I was like, yeah. I mean, I've tried some pot, but like nothing crazy. <laughs> I, I don't know, like. And then she was yeah, like, yeah. "I'm concerned that you are involved in witchcraft." And I was like, "Okay, okay, why?" And she was like, "Because you're reading Harry Potter." Wow. And I was so like, "So it was really
0: like I, I I remember asking my my best friend in high school I was like, what is." I was like, can I can I ask what is the the thing that like is is so forbidden and and for her it was like she explained it as like magic that was presented as like that is superior to the, like the will and like work of God and the divine. Like that mm-hmm. this thing could exist in the face of a God so supreme and his ability to create and and make and unmake and this thing exists like it was just like an affront. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you are reading this is this like is this is like an affront to God that you're even reading yes, Harry yes. Potter? And like
1: at the time, you know, like Jesus. I'm 18 years old. I'm in college. I was like I was like, you do realize that Harry's Potter Potter is a children's book about a little boy who goes to a magical school and that it's fiction, right? Right. And she was like, I know right. what it is. And I was like, Have you ever read it? <laughs> and she was like, I don't, I don't have know to I know it. You know what it is? Because we're having this conversation, right. and if you knew what it was, we wouldn't it exactly, be? exactly. I'm like, it is not a how to join the occult manual. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to platform nine and three quarters. Right. I'm like, I'm not looking for exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. Like, I still haven't managed to get a magical pet owl. I'm pretty pissed about it. Yeah. Can't fly them, right? Yeah, yeah. But sure. Yeah. So she like she brought that up, and I was just like, this is getting weird. And then (laughs) – and then – so, like, after I explained to her that Harry Potter is not my new religion, it's just a book I'm reading, um, then she was like, well, I'm concerned that you're fascinated with homosexuality. And I was like, what do you mean? And then she was like, Uh... all your friends are gay. And I was like, I have lots of friends of lots of orientations. And then she was like – Right. She was like, do you have something you want to tell me? And this – I think because we had just been talking about Harry Potter – And like religion and whatever. The next thing that came out of my mouth was I'm a practicing lesbian. Like, like, as if, like, I worship at the Church of the Pussy, like, like, just like. Yeah, like, like, I am,
0: I am devout. I am ascending in my levels of practice. Right, like. I'm getting better every day,
1: Grandma. So I said that. And then, of course, she jumped on my weird word choice because it was a weird word choice. Because then she was like, practicing, does that mean that you're having sex? And I was just like. Oh God! <laughs> I mean, that's a fair follow-up to that it particular is. Oh, setup. God. Like you put it
0: on the tee, and she took a swing mm-hmm. right at mm-hmm. it, right there. Mm-hmm.
1: And you're like, "Well, Grandma." Yeah. So then I had to be like, Do you "Want the answer? Cool, to that cool, question? cool. I don't think you want the answer to this, but here we go. Yeah. <laughs> here we go." And so it's all kind of Harry Potter's fault, but also not. But like, yeah, she started her like, "I'm going to confront Amanda about being a lesbian." By I'm going to confront her. About reading Harry Potter, because like obviously those two things were like on par and linked and related. Okay, yeah. Now, so
0: I'm taking, I'm trying to walk the path of logic here. And now (laughs) is. Is the, I, you have a fascination with queerness, is that connected to Harry Potter in addition to you apparently have a long out of queer friends? Like, having clearly never read it and knowing nothing about it, did she think there was like something inherently gay about Harry Potter or was just like, is it just, was it just like a combination of like sin? It's yeah, like I think it was just and- like, let's
1: talk about all the evil that you're doing. Like, okay, I think it was okay. like just a general like hodgepodge of of evil doing <laughs> that we needed to talk
0: about. <laughs> About all the evil that you're doing right now
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so then I you know there was a lot of days of like tears and hardship whatever and then I went and I I studied abroad in England and so like then I stayed there for like six months which was good for all of us and so you could go find platform exactly. nine and three exactly so like, yeah then I grandma? ran away to platform nine and three quarters and was like it has nothing to do with me Anyway, yeah, I am yeah. gonna go stay <laughs> in the dike hall at Hogwarts It has nothing to do with British wizards grandma I swear there must be a mistake this is platform nine and three quarters. There's no such thing. Is there? Excuse me. Could, could you tell me how to... How to get onto the platform? <laughs> Not to worry, dear. It's Ron's first time to Hogwarts as well. Now, all you've got to do is walk straight at the wall between platforms nine and 10. Let's do it at a bit of a run if you're nervous. Good luck.
0: I wonder, now, in the course of, like, experiencing Harry, was there a moment in particular that, like, that was a real, that was a real latch on to for, was there, like, an Amanda
1: moment within the character of Harry? I mean, it happened so early with, like, his experiences with the Dursleys And just like instantly like relating to – I know this is like such a sad, dark answer, but like the experiences of feeling um, unwelcome and unwanted in the home and, yeah. you know, kind of locked away and hidden away. Because I was especially like after my mom died, not to get into like too many details, but like I, I ended up living in a home with two step-parents. So like a stepfather who then married, married again and then there was stepfather and stepmother. And so I was just like the dead woman's kid and it did not yeah. go oh. well. Um, uh-huh, is uh-huh. all I'll say about that. It did not go well. So, like, there was an immediate latch on just on that level of, like, and then going out mm-hmm. and finding and making a, you know, a chosen family out of friends who accepted me for yeah. who I was. And, like, so, like, it, it, yeah, I latched pretty quickly.
0: All right. Well, we are going to take a break real quick, and then I have, I have an important question to ask you when we get back from this. When we come back more with Amanda, including the J.K. Rowling, of it all. Plus, I'll have one quick thing before I go about Orphan First Kill. She's back everybody, and we're gonna talk about her. So stay tuned for the end. Hi everyone, I'm Ella McLeod. And I'm Alexis B. Preston. And we host a show called Comfort Creatures, the show for every animal lover, be it a creature of scales, six legs, fur, feathers, or fiction. Comfort Creatures is a show for people who prefer their friends to have paws instead of hands. Unless they are raccoon hands, that is okay. That is absolutely okay, yeah. Yes. Every Thursday, we will be talking to guests about their pets, learning about pets in history, art, and even fiction.
1: Plus, we'll discover differences between pet ownership across the pond. It's going to be a hoot on Maximum Fun. Hi, everybody. My name is Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Dr. Sydney McElroy. That that is true. It's important in this context because we host a medical history podcast called Sawbones. Sawbones. Oh, I thought we were going to... We shouldn't have worked on that. Sawbones. Sawbones isn't afraid to ask the hard-hitting questions. Like, are vaccines as safe and reliable as they want us to believe? Yes. Do I have to get a flu shot? Yes. Uh, Okay. Is science a miracle? No. We have a lot of great history for you and a lot of laughs. And sometimes the history is so bad that there's no
0: laughs, but
1: you'll learn something, you'll feel something.
0: And it's always sawbones.
1: That's right.
0: Every week on <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. Today I am talking with TV and comic writer Amanda Dibert about her very personal connection to The Boy Who Lived, a.k.a. Harry Potter. Let's get back into it. I said I wanted to ask you a question we got back from this, and that question is, did you personally take the sorting hat quiz? You know what, I did. Because, um, you know, as we know, when all of the wizard kids, like when, when the, the, I guess the first year Hogwarts students... Uh, When they arrive, they are welcomed with like a big, beautiful banquet dinner. And every new wizard or witch has to be uh, sorted and essentially like their dormitory. But it's sort of a bigger deal than that. When I call your name, you will come forth. I shall place the sorting hat on your head and you will be sorted into your houses. The houses within Hogwarts are very, they are representative of your sort of elemental traits. Like the, the the house that you get put into, you get placed there by this, you know, mythical like tool called the sorting hat, which is a talking hat with a personality. It like, it's, it seems to like assess your true internal nature and characterizes you. It, it deems your placement into whatever house of the four Gryffindor, which is where our heroes Harry and Ron and Hermione um are placed. Um and then there is Slytherin, which is where the nefarious, you know, entitled Draco Malfoy is placed. There is Ravenclaw, which I think seems to be uh like like smart clever kids who aren't necessarily as like inherently dark-sided as the Slytherin kids tend to be. And then there is the much derided, oft disrespected Hufflepuff. Which seems to just be filled with the nicest kids at the school and the ones that you'd probably want to be the best friends with. Um, where it's like Gryffindor is the one that everybody wants to be in because it's like the hero the, the the house of heroism and notoriety. And so yeah, like where where did the sorting hat place you?
1: I'm a Hufflepuff. I'm a Hufflepuff too. Oh, see, there we go. See, and that means we're loyal, we're kind. <laughs> what the
0: hell? Is with dragging Hufflepuff, the objectively best people you would want on your side in any crisis
1: situation. What is this? <laughs> I Why does no one respect this house? I think it's because we're the nicest. So, you know, you drag us and we're probably not going to like murder you for it. Um, and maybe it's not cool to be sweet and kind. But yes, I think my Hufflepuffness is what makes me a good friend and a good mother. So I'm very into it. <laughs>
0: I mean cuz like I feel like even like knowing knowing what I know now when you said that I feel like there was even a hesitation where you're like I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. I'm a Hufflepuff.
1: Look, I was this hoping for Gryffindor or Ravenclaw. I won't lie. <laughs> I won't lie. But but Hufflepuff I am and I think it's accurate.
0: Well, now, nah, and I, I remember I, I worked in, I worked at Wired Magazine, and around the, at one point when the movies were coming out, there was one member of our team that was very, 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 very into Harry Potter, and so we all, he had us all take the sorting hat quiz, and um, everybody in the department was a <laughs> everybody, and we we realized at that moment that our research editor only hires Hufflepots. That's hilarious. We were like, this is an unspoken criteria, like it, it's not you don't have to take the quiz to get the job, but once you get the job and you take the quiz, you're gonna find out that the the for, it was a foregone conclusion. <laughs> Everybody in the department, that's hilarious. And you, we were tireless, faithful
1: people, is what we were. Well, I mean that that's a great hiring criteria, quite frankly.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you want I think you want a lot of I think you want a lot of that house on your staff. Absolutely. And now. The reason I, I I wanted you to come on and talk to me about this was because you had posted on Twitter. You are very good at Twitter. You had posted onto Twitter about how, like you 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 pose the question, the same very same question I seek to get at every episode of this podcast, which is where you know, hey world, hey Twitterverse, where have you seen yourself represented? Mm-hmm in a character. And I wanted to know why you asked that question and why it interests you.
1: Specifically with that question, um, it was kind of a a twofold thing. One, because I think it's great for us all to reflect on how art and media and literature and and all films and music and everything, how they actually really do impact us and help us feel connected to the world and sometimes connected to ourselves and other points of view. And I also think it's important uh, for those of us who are in more marginalized communities, especially like myself as a lesbian and people of color and of different able bodiedness and just all kinds of things to talk about our experiences, their experiences, because there's often less representation. So sometimes it's much later in life, like the first time, say, you connect to a queer character and, and yeah. really see one and go, oh my gosh, there's me. There's a love story that looks like mine or whatever the case may be. So I think it's also good for us all to reflect on uh, how important and impactful representation can be just in general to people's lives. And when you see the stories, when you see all the answers to the questions, you kind of get this overwhelming like, oh, wow, that one character that I don't think about a lot, I've seen 10 times as an answer to this of people like really deeply connecting yeah. to.
0: I'm really glad, I'm really glad to have Harry Potter as an example to discuss here because it, like, I, I think it's, it's been around for, for so much time at this point And it's, it's so, it's so huge mm-hmm. and, and continues to grow with like the, like the Fantastic Beasts franchise is something that exists now. And so with like this, as long as Warner brother finds a way to continue franchising this property, it kind of seems like they will. And, but like, so it starts to be thought of, I think as sort of like, it's like a sh- cultural shorthand like yeah, Harry right. Potter like it's, it's it's at this point like a, there's such a big part of it that is this capitalistic enterprise. Sure, absolutely. But like you think like this reaches so many people. Mm-hmm. Like it I'm, I'm so caught up in this question of, like, where we see ourselves on screen because it just underscores t- t- the, the power of, of, of fiction. Yes. It underscores the power of stories and storytelling and who gets to tell those stories. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, knowing what we know about J.K. Rowling right, now. Right, It's like we see the kind of person who is able to reach an, a global population with stories from her mind that she ginned up and, you know, textually and subtextually how she is influencing people. Mm-hmm. And then you know, we have someone like you who's deeply, you know, connected to this character, Harry Potter, of the most famous characters in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. And now you are somebody who is somebody who makes the stories, who tells the stories. Mm-hmm. Like, you have such power. Like, you really do. Like, not everything's gonna be Harry Potter, but my God, like, that is an incredible, like, the idea of how incredibly possible things are, the idea of like, You not being J.K. Rowling and being an out lesbian (laughs) and a mom being like, I'm going to tell these stories that are going to hit people and influence people. Like, how did, like, not, it's not something I'm sure you're thinking about every time you're putting pen to paper, but like, are there times when you just kind of dwell on like, holy shit, like, I'm reaching people with this stuff. In,
1: in the, in the after sometimes when people have come to me, like, you know, it's, it's something that if you think about it too much while you're writing, it can become almost like overwhelming and you're like no i can't like especially the for example the first time that i ever wrote a wonder woman comic it was that thing of like okay here's this character that is extremely extremely huge that people are very connected to love been around a long time like very iconic i hope i don't like f it up and make everyone very upset you know it was like a very heavy like oh wow and then the first um the first Wonder Woman story I ever did, my wife Cat Staggs illustrated, so it was fun. We get to work on that together. But in this Cat Staggs, also rad. Also very rad. Um, <laughs> 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 there is a, a, the story. In this story, there's a little boy who is a like a Wonder Woman super fan, and he gets made fun of by some other little boys on the playground for for liking girl stuff, quote unquote girl stuff. Mm. And then Wonder Woman mm-hmm. happens to like come up and ask, you know, what's so what's so bad about like girl stuff and why does it have to be girl stuff? And basically gives him an empowering message about how he is can be true to himself and like whatever he likes and that that's all great and then like the boys are like in awe because he's hanging out with Wonder Woman. And it's it's a very cute sweet moment and I had several people afterward come up to me like uh, men especially, and being like, I really connected with this. This is who I was as a young boy. This is still who I am as a man. And like, it felt so good to like see this and see myself reflected in this little boy, and and get this empowering message. And it was so great. And then another woman came up to me and told me that it helped give her the courage to actually uh, come out as a trans woman and to like start transitioning because like she read like, and like, she's like standing there and like crying at my booth at a comic con. And I'm just like, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's a lot when you get hit with people being Mm -hmm. like this thing that you wrote, this story like really affected me or like changed my life or helped me feel seen. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I don't think if I, if I could, if I thought about that going into it, I don't think I could do it. (laughs) Right of course of course
0: and like it's like it's like a question I'm interested in while also I understand it's a fucking impossible question to like ask and answer I'm like hey not to get too and you know not to get you too in your head about your work but like you're changing lives
1: Amanda it's like (laughs) Like, it's like I'm not a brain surgeon I wrote a story I'm super glad I connect I mean you know which is of course what you want for the better I don't
0: know. Well, and it, 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 it make, as, a, as a creator and like, you know, for the purposes of this conversation, we're doing the sort of 30,000 of you thing and, and knowing that like, you know, you can't be in your head about it all the time when you want it, when you're writing, it just, it has to be the creative process. It has to be the character. It has to be the world. You're not like thinking about these metatextual right. aspects of it. But there is such a responsibility to being the person that, that makes these things. And with, with the case study of something like Harry Potter, we have a fascinating arc with this mm-hmm. piece of work mm-hmm. where the creator of it continually seems to lower the bar for own humanity <laughs> at every opportunity and like is the is there any sort of art in the artist conversation within yourself or that you have with people like other like you know fer- various like potter fans like how how does the legacy of of harry wear the reality of its author at this point
1: I mean, and you know, I don't know how to answer that because it is a complicated question. I mean, all I can Understood. speak to is like my, you know, it had the effect that it had on me at the time, and like I can't rewrite or change that you know yeah. what I mean? like it powerfully impacted me in a very beneficial way, and mm-hmm. that is what I have, and that is that is the truth and the reality of it, but it is it is a complicated you know. It is a complicated thing with so much of the, of just everything in the world that we consume. <laughs> just, yeah, you know, everything. Everything's so loaded. And it, you know, and I think it's good to be thoughtful it's about the premise it. I think of the it's a good place that it's, yes. it's impossible
0: to get to the good place because it's all interconnected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now, did you know as the as the story goes on, as the story develops, like do you do you continue to align like it, over the course of the saga? Is does Harry stay your surrogate in in the course of of his grand adventure?
1: I mean, like shockingly, yes. Although you know, as far as like the nerdy studiousness of me, that then that I'm uh-huh. then I'm quite a bit of a Hermione. But um, <laughs> but yeah, Hopefully, I mean, like I
0: mean, the number of girls I know for whom Hermione was long awaited. Oh yes, girl
1: representation. Thank God. Oh yes, yes, and I do, I do deeply relate to her as well, on, on those levels. Um, but yeah, it stays pretty solidly. I mean, the it, it, I stay pretty feeling pretty connected to his arc, the additional losses, the like more and more coming mm-hmm. into his own, the like yeah. fighting for his loved ones and what he believes in, and to have the kind of family and life that he wants to have. And you know, it's mm-hmm. it all it all feels very relatable. Okay. okay. To me. And then growing up to marry uh, marry a redhead, so <laughs> a redheaded girl. So,
0: <laughs> well, that is that's a real coup for you, I have to say. Well, well played on that one. Huge props,
1: Ginny. She's been talking about your
0: summer. Bit annoying, really. Harry Potter, as we've discussed, comes into your life in like your your college years, and so and and now, past college years grown in various, evolved in various different directions. Where, like, and with the sort of, you know, it it's it's getting better. Um, you know, with the sort of sort of proliferation of of more diverse narratives, mm-hmm. particularly over mm-hmm. just like the past three to five years. Like, again, mm-hmm. we're not there yet, but it's getting better. Mm-hmm. Where where do you find yourself now? Like where is a, where is a sort of concurrent amid or a place that you've been sort of surprised that you were able to To align yourself with like a fictional character on screen that I would imagine just like couldn't have been a possibility, Mm. you know, back in our adolescent
1: years. Well, and that's something that, you know, it's fun. My wife and I have a six-year-old daughter and Mm. something that is incredible to me is seeing how much more representation exists in the media that she consumes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't know that she's ever going to understand how emotional we get about it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Because for her, like, she can – like, a a great parallel uh, to this conversation is the Disney show Owl House, which is – I I totally know Owl House. I've spoken with the creator about Owl House. So, obviously, there's actual, like, bisexual and girls dating girls, and it's witches, and it's – but, like, instead of it being, like, a coded thing or a metaphor thing, it's, like, literally, like, I'm going to ask this girl to go to the dance with me because we have a crush on each other. Wow. And, you know, and she watches, like, The Loud House where the best friend character has two dads and then, like, She-Ra has just, like, queerapalooza and, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, just, like, representation every which way. And, you know, so it's, it's like, there's so – much more than there ever was you know i mean yeah. nothing i saw as a kid and like for her at least there are characters that look like her family that look like i'm um, yeah you know i mean i we don't know how like we have no idea yet how she will identify or what her orientation she seems to really like boys though like it seems okay. you know <laughs> she seems to really like boys a lot i'll pray for her <laughs> <laughs> but, but still, like she gets to see, she gets to see characters that look like her family. She gets to like mm-hmm. get that in a in a way oh, that I never cool. could have imagined. <laughs> yeah. Happy Christmas, Harry. Happy Christmas, Ron. What are you wearing? Oh, Mum made it. Looks like you got one too. I've got presents. Yeah. <gasps>
0: They're watching it again last night. It, it, like, God, Daniel Radcliffe is so good. He really he's, is. He's so, he's so good. They're all so good. But he's so good and he's so right in this part. And when he's so little in that first movie and that you read so much the wonder on his face mm-hmm. when he's discovering Hogwarts. And, and just the, like, the way he's sad about his life when he's with his, his family in, like, the, the muggle world. Mm-hmm. Like, it it's not... Every day isn't the worst day of his life because he's used to this. Mm-hmm. Like, you get the sense of a kid who's grown up in a really hard place that's normal. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not mm-hmm. sitting there sobbing when he's being locked under the fucking stairs. Right. He's just, like, probably, what maybe at least in some measure, grateful to be away from them. Right. Like, in his right. world of his own there. And he just does that. And then, but then, like... It only you only register the changes like when you see something good happen to him, like when he comes downstairs and he's like, "I have Christmas presents." Mm-hmm, I like mm-hmm. started. I was like crying at Harry Potter, saying, "I have Christmas presents." I was like, "This is not, <laughs> right. this is not uh, what my reaction would have been the first time I watched this movie, but it sure is now." Right, and just I like I felt so like I just felt so like exposed to the world when like they're they're it's the end and like they're they're getting on the train to go back for the summer and he's like, "I'm not going home really." Feels strange to be going home, doesn't it? I'm not going home. Not really. And it was just like Harry's got a home. Like it. I am like wanting. I'm like starting to well up talking about it just now. <laughs> and it just like I. It hadn't registered for me before how beautiful that was mm-hmm. to have that. Have that kid who had gone through what he did to be able to say like. I'm not really going home because, right. like, I found it.
1: Like, I got right. it. Right. And home is where is I'm just... loved and supported, wherever that is. Right. Yeah.
0: That was awesome. I was like, man, I can see how this jumped off. hmm <laughs> I can see how this registered with with people. And it, 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 it was just – it was nice to – like to be like, oh god! Like and to know that Daniel Radcliffe has gone on to be such like a wonderful weirdo in cinema, mm-hmm. and and like take take the bankroll that he got from doing all those movies, being like I can make all the craziest choices I want. Um, but to like see him in his little tiny baby humble beginnings like that, and just wearing that character so well. Do you feel like Radcliffe as Potter? Was the Harry you imagined.
1: Oh yeah, I think he did it. I I think he was perfect. I think he was just so wonderful and charming, and I've been and I've enjoyed watching his career since. I mean, I just think he's fantastic.
0: He's a he's an all star. He's like a quiet MVP. Yes. So now, is there anything else that you would like to 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 plug to let the people know about something you're working on, something you you want people to check out? Like what? How can the people know more about Amanda Divert?
1: Um, I mean, for one thing, I'm I'm literally on Twitter all the time. So if you want to know more about me, just go to <laughs> Add Amanda Diaper, and I will be there tweeting day or night, literally any <laughs> second. It's always going to happen. Uh, since we're talking, since we've been talking a bit about representation, even though I um, didn't choose the most diverse of characters, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say I have. Um, I did a graphic novel adaptation of a lesbian novel series, detective series from the 70s and 80s written by Eve Zarimba. and It's called oh. Work for Mil- a Million. It was illustrated by Selena Goulding. So the cool thing is that it was like the first like out lesbian detective like novel series. And now it's a graphic novel that's out with Penguin Random House. So there's lots of like – cool representation and it's a mystery and murder and Uh noir and um, you know and all the women working on it are queer and so like it's just like a very fun, cool book that I think people should check out. Well
0: Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on and talking to us about this after I was like, hey I liked your tweet (laughs) and... Saying yes to that, I, 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 you know, Twitter can be a tough place, but I found it to be very joyful in terms of like the connections that I've made and the conversations oh, I've been able sure. to have with people, and this is one of them. And so, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. Well, thank you. Thank you so much to Amanda Dybert. We recorded this episode a while back. Um, a while back you guys and in the time that has elapsed she has gotten something new going so I'm gonna plug that for her now she has written a guided gratitude journal called you already have the answers 365 questions to reveal your greatest strengths that's available for pre-order on Amazon right now so it's very exciting to be able to have some new work to throw into the mix to direct you guys to and now I got that one quick thing before I go, and that one quick thing is Orphan First Kill. That's right, you guys. Orphan came out in 2009. It starred friend of the show, favored guest, Isabel Furman, um, who came on one of our first episodes to talk about her tremendous movie, The Novice, uh for which she was nominated for an independent spirit award for her performance um but this orphan orphan brought her onto the scene she was a little girl i think she said she was 10 years old um that movie came out in 2009 it is an incredible piece of Ots era like exploitation horror it's please go see it if you haven't yet if you watch this if you listen to this podcast and you haven't watched orphan yet you're committing a crime you know, a while back actually, it was announced that Orphan First Kill, a prequel to Orphan, was on the way. And it was prequel, did you hear me say? Prequel, as in it came out before it is is meant to exist before the Thailand of the original Orphan, in which Isabel Furman is playing a ten year old girl because she's a ten year old girl. Now the prequel is here, and Isabel Furman is still playing a child. <laughs> all these years later. Isabel Furman is now 25 years old and she is back in the Esther uh baby doll dress and choker and it has been said and they stand by that there has been no digital intervention in aging Isabel down to play Esther again. And you watch this, you watch this trailer and it is a sleight of hand it's like watching alita battle angel in camera like the the trickery 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 that they are doing to make isabelle Ferman, who does still have she has a very young looking face but not like young like nine so i mean i think the the audacity of that novelty is so incredible that, like, that's immediate buy-in for me. I feel like this is a moment where my friend, the filmmaker Sam Weinman, would say, camp doesn't exist, but if it existed, it would be Isabel Furman playing Esther again in a prequel to Orphan 13 years after the original Orphan came out. Um, In this iteration, in this new story, again, this is a prequel, this is first kill. So this is Esther's origin story. And that means we know our girl triumphs in the end, because there's a whole orphan that's got to come after Um, But I'm going to read you a little summary. After escaping from a psychiatric facility in Estonia, (laughs) Esther travels to America by impersonating the missing daughter of a wealthy family. Yet an unexpected twist arises that pits her against a mother who will protect her family at any cost. That last sentence, the yet and unexpected twist arises. That's just the plot of Orphan, so we know it works because we've seen it before. Last time, mom was Vera Farmiga. This time, guys, mom is Julia Stiles. What's not to get hyped about there? Isabel Furman playing a like seven to nine year old girl squ- as a twenty like a twenty five year old woman herself, squaring off against julia styles who is the the mother of the family that she is going to infiltrate and manipulate and probably try and ruin and you know if we if it's if it's like our beloved original orphan she's gonna try and fuck the dad like it's gonna because there's a real i guess i can't spoil the twist twist for you uh, about esther but like follow my context clues and go watch the movie the original movie and, and get your life um seeing the big secret that esther is hiding and that like julia styles is apparently 41 isabel Furman is 25 that gives them a 16 year age difference which is not like out of the realm of possibility of playing mother and daughter though it would be it's a very hollywood mother and daughter age difference to play but when you make that 25 year old less than 10 years old or something you have some fucking avant-garde cinema here and you know what we you know we can know for sure isabel Furman is going to deliver isabel Furman is going to go all in on this i cannot it's it's in theaters now you guys it is and i think it might be like streaming on paramount plus or something but it it is in theaters i got to see this on a big screen i gotta be there i if as long as this movie commits to the orphan the orphan of its DNA and goes all the way in. This could be a movie of the year. Like this, it, this needs to be a spectacle of the year. And again, I for one cannot wait to completely trust Isabel Furman to give me the goods in this movie. Orphan first kill guys. Esther's back. I'm so psyched. Um, I'm the most famous orphan in my heart. Following perhaps the most famous orphan the world has ever known in Harry Potter. Uh, but you know what? Esther's my not parented person of of record in my heart. And I think it, she probably killed them. So, on that classy note, that's our show. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Feeling Pod or send us an email at feelingcene at maximumfun.org. And if you want to follow me, I am Jor Crew on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and Culture.
1: Artist-owned. Audience supported.